if you want more peace, if you want more connection, if that person is the way they are, you can either fight about it, argue about it, complain about it. You can do all that forevermore. Many, many people do. But if you are wanting to feel more peaceful, if you're wanting to feel more powerful, then it has to come back to you. And if you do that as a not I have to do it, but I want to do this because I want to feel more, more peaceful, more, more harmonious, more powerful, more effective. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for yourself. Wise words from Karina Gordon-Barnes, who joins us on our You Are Not A Frog Christmas special to talk about how to cope with difficult relatives and colleagues without losing the plot or losing out. I sincerely hope that you're going to get some time off over this holiday season, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. It's fair to say that any day of celebration can be fraught with difficulties. We often expect more from special days off than from any other times in the year, but why? As we're often spending them with people we don't naturally get along with and that we only see very rarely, and there's probably good reasons for that. How many family get-togethers, Christmas parties or holidays have been ruined for us by finding somebody really difficult? Now, they may be completely oblivious to this, while you're screaming into your pillow every night or going on extra long runs just to survive. But it doesn't need to be like this. Karina and I discuss how the stories and assumptions, often based on past experience of that person, can get in the way and act as a sort of mental filter making it twice as difficult to cope as you're already expecting bad behaviour. And of course, you'll definitely notice it a lot more if you're expecting it. We talk about ways to make requests of people rather than demands and the things you can do that you do have control of when it comes to these tricky people, not relying on them to change to make things better. Of course, for every tricky relative, there are even trickier work colleagues and the principles remain the same. So listen to this episode if you want to find out how to get people to do what you want without resorting to demands or manipulation. How to reframe some of the stories we're telling ourselves that keep us stuck in predictable patterns of behaviour. And how to recognise if you are in fact the difficult person and what you can do about it. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? 
Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. So welcome to another episode of the You Are Not A Frog podcast and back with me on the podcast is friend of the podcast, Karina Gordon-Barnes. Welcome, Karina. Thank you, Rachel. It's lovely to be back. It's good to have you back. Now, Karina's a trainer, coach and a facilitator. She's one of our Shapes Toolkit trainers and she specialises in relationships, in particular, how to make relationships more harmonious. So I thought, well, it's coming up to Christmas. (laughs) We probably all need a little bit of how am I going to make my relationships a little bit more harmonious at Christmas? Um, Because Christmas is a time where we see lots of people that we wouldn't normally hang out with, maybe for prolonged periods of time and can get a bit fraught, can't it? But also, I don't know about you, but work seems to be ramping up rather than ramping down. And there are always people at work that we don't particularly get on with and it gets into a bit of a vicious cycle. And then whenever you see that person, you start to feel a little bit stressed and triggered before they've even opened their mouth. So, so that's what I want to talk about today, Karina. Is that okay? Absolutely. It's all about relationships. It is, isn't it? And the more I do this podcast, the more I realise that if we could just solve the way we interact with each other and the stories we're telling ourselves about things actually would go a long way to, to working happier. So let, let's start off. <laughs> let's start off with relatives. So we've got the holiday season coming up, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. Hopefully everybody is going to get some time off. I feel really blessed. I have a lovely, lovely family and I really can't think of any of them that I don't want to spend time with. But I know that there are people out there that are absolutely dreading having to spend a prolonged period of time with, with certain people. So if someone was to come to you about this, Karina, in your sort of capacity as a coach, where would you even start? And I think this is a really significant year because for, for many, most, all of us, last year we didn't see family. So there is something of that expectation of, okay, this is the year that we're kind of going to make up for, for lost time for what we didn't get to do last year. So there can be that additional stress. Every year, Christmas can have this pressure and expectation, but this year I think it's got that extra level. I think it's also important to say that when it comes to being with our family, it's sometimes it's not just the people that we find annoying, irritating, stressful. It's also the people that we actually feel quite heartbroken around. So it might be that an, you know, an elderly relative has declined in their health or, or a younger relative has declined in their health. It might be that this is the first Christmas without a certain family member there. So there's also that, you know, Christmas can be challenging because I think we see in the, it's the classic, isn't it? We see in the movies, the, the wonderful Christmas gathering and everyone, by the end of it, it's all a happy ending. <laughs> But for so many people, being with family is not easy. So I think the very first place to start is by just acknowledging that, by saying, you know, it's not meant to be easy. It's not easy for many, many people. So let's just be honest about that and face that reality that the so much of our upset, our stress comes from there being a gap between our expectations and reality. And actually, 
my work is all around can we be with reality without the soundtrack that says it should be different it should be more harmonious it should be easier it should be you know in some way more connected or more magical can we actually go do you know what this is hard and I'm gonna I'm about to go and do a hard thing and that's that's really interesting because I read a book recently called Solve for Happy and that was by I think the Google chief engineer and he he has a really interesting story in that he very very tragically lost his son son was I think 19 or 20 he, he, he got unwell very quickly and, and died in an operation and he then started to explore what makes us happy and what doesn't is there an equation is there something that we can approach like a bit of coding to make us happy and he came out with exactly that equation that happiness equals reality minus expectations so if you can't change your reality, the best thing to do is, is just change your expectations. Now, that's a little bit depressing, particularly to <laughs> people like me that always like, yes, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be good. And how do you balance that equation of really facing into reality without lowering your expectations too much? Mm, absolutely. Well, it, it's, it's all about that facing reality and then seeing what is in your power to change. So what I would do, if you have a family gathering coming up, I would maybe even just take a piece of paper and a pen and write down everything that you think in reality might happen. So not your dream of how this Christmas is going to go, but what may happen. Okay, my father-in-law may get really drunk and he may introduce that topic that is you know, politically divisive and it's going to have everyone at the table get into an argument. My sister is an introvert and she, this is not me, by the way. This is, <laughs> um, my sister is an introvert and she's going to find everyone being together overwhelming and she's going to get snappy and she's going to take time out and that's going to lead to an argument with, and just, just actually facing reality. My teenagers are going to want to go off and be on their screen and chat with their friends, not with their grandparents. It's like, okay, this is who my family is. This is what I know about them. This, these are their quirks, their flaws, their imperfections, their humanness. And to just kind of take off the glasses of how I want it to be and look with the eyes of this is, this is how it is. And the example I always like to give of this is at a funeral. So at a funeral, there is this kind of strange relief and comfort when the, the officiant or, or someone is really honest about the person who has just passed away where they say, you know, they don't say, oh, she was so amazing and so lovely. They say, gosh, she could be so selfish or she could be so stubborn. But with that kind of affection, like, oh, I really knew her. You know, I really knew her. I really saw her for who she was. And I loved her with all those, all that humanness. Yeah. So that's the very first place I would start is, is looking with clear eyes. And then once you've really looked at who those other people who are going to be at the gathering are in reality, then take a really honest look at yourself and who you are in that gathering. To look really honestly at, okay, when that particular political topic gets raised at the dinner table, what do I do? You know, knowing myself as I do and, and kind of taking your part, you know, I know that I will take the bait. I will get into that debate, it will become, it will go beyond a debate, it will become an argument, it will get into conflict. I do that, you know, or when my teenager goes on, on her tablet, you know, I get really kind of passive aggressive with her. 
or I start making threats that I know I'm not going to carry out or you know, what, what is it that I do? And that takes a level of honesty. It takes a level of self-awareness. It takes a level of owning your part because once you see the reality of them and you see the reality of yourself, you can then look at, okay, given that this is the reality, then what choices do I have? What is then in my power? And we can, we can look at some of those, some of those choices. That's a really good example. I think teenagers on, on tablets, because I have teenagers at the moment, love them, love them to bits, but they do have a propensity to go on their phones every single minute of the day. And you find yourself getting more and more irritated by this. And I think teenagers are a good example because they're a good example of people you really can't change and who aren't necessarily the most rational of human beings. And also what I've noticed with teenagers is that they respond very badly to any sort of criticism or or even, or even feedback. They take it that you're angry with them, even, even when you're not, you're just trying to give them feedback. So I think let's use the example of teenager going on their tablet when we're sitting around, maybe wanting to play a family game at Christmas. Yeah. Well, I think the first place I would go with that is empathy. You know, for, for many of us adults, we love our screens as well. We love our phones. We love our tablets. You know, I can certainly put my hand up to there I am at night when I'm on my phone. If I have a few couple, you know, a couple of minutes, there I am on my phone. So there's something about, again, that self-awareness that we may start that conversation with the teenager saying, it's really tempting to go on our phones, isn't it? You know, I have a little quiet word, you know, there's a part of me that would love to go on my phone right now. And just to have that empathy that it's not you against them. It's not like you're this kind of, you know, perfect human who never ever wants to go on your phone and to meet them in that we're the same. You know, it's really tempting to go on your phone. You know, are you wanting to connect with your friends? Does that feel really important? Or are you wanting to be entertained? Or so to meeting them where they are. And then what I really love is making a request, a really clear request. You know, would you be willing to put that down for the next hour so we can play a game? And, and truly asking it as a request, not as a demand, but as a request, would you be willing? And because you've met them where they are, that's, that's already a disarming first step. And then to make the request. Now, it may be that they come back and say, oh God, an hour, you know, an hour with this lot. No, no, that's, that sounds horrific. You know, maybe they say, you say, there's some sort of negotiation there, you know, well, you know, half an hour, as in they say back to you, I could do half an hour. Great. We'll take half an hour. <laughs> we'll take half an hour. We'll have a great family game. And maybe the family game is actually so enjoying and enjoyable that actually they forget that their phone is there and they're there, they're there an hour later. So I think meet them where they are and make a request and know that they aren't, they are an autonomous human being, even though they are a teenager, they, they still have their own autonomy. So I think the relationship with your close family, with your teenagers, et cetera, you do have that, almost that right to request those things of them. What about when it's someone like great uncle Bill who's, yeah. who's there, who's being really obnoxious yeah. and uh, you know, maybe with political opinions you really don't agree with. And you're just sitting there thinking, when do I say something? When do I say something? He's going to ruin everything, but you don't have any power or control. I mean, I know you don't have power and control over teenagers, but at least you maybe have the right to ask. What about when you don't feel that you've got the right to ask? Well, it may still be that you could make a request. You know, it could be that there is a quiet, um, a quiet request made. You know, that's, you know, that's a really interesting topic, Uncle Bill. And maybe we could discuss it another time. You know, could, would you be willing to pause that conversation for now? Because I think, I think it might lead to some, some conflict here. 
you can always, always make a request of anyone. I can make a request of a stranger in the street. It doesn't mean they're going to say yes to that request, but you can make it. And at least then you know that you are doing what is within your power to do. And ultimately, the other person is always in charge of themselves. You know, I don't think there's any podcast guest that can come on and and, and tell you ever that you can change someone in the sense that you can't control their behavior. That's not how human relationships work. We get to stand in our own power. We get to make requests and then we get to choose what we do instead. So it might be that the conversation is going in such a direction that it's really not pleasant for everyone. And you say, I'm going to leave the table now. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go for a walk now. This conversation just doesn't it doesn't work for me, this conversation. I'm, I'm going to take myself off. So if you've made a request and the, and the answer has been no, then well, what is, again, in my power to do so that I'm not in a situation that doesn't feel right to me? And it's just striking me that when you said that, that phrase, would you be willing to, that mm. is a very respectful way of doing it. And, and it really is a request, isn't it? Whereas yes. I think a lot of the time, we think we're making requests, but we're actually making demands or commands. Like, yes. put your phone away. Yep. Right, Uncle Bill, shut up right now because yeah. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's where the conflict comes, perhaps? Yes, because nobody likes being told what to do, whether you're 12 or you know 90. Nobody likes that. And it's always going to, I think, for many people, going to create a kind of resistance. And even if they would happily have said, said yes, because you've told them, They're going to want to, again, assert their autonomy. I think we as humans have this real need to feel that we are in charge of our lives. We have that. Uncle Bill has that. Our teenagers have that. So make a true request. Would you be willing? You know, coming from this is who I am. This is what I'm knowing about myself, what I want, what I need. From that place, I can make any request in order for you to potentially help me meet those wants and needs. But ultimately, there is a line where you make your decision. And it just strikes me as being such a better way to do things so you can either command and go into that aggressive mode or you can withdraw and I think a lot of us we withdraw and we start to manipulate so okay no one's going to help me clear the table I'm just going to do it all myself and and hope that someone notices that you're the one clearing up and offers to help yes yes (laughs) yeah I am really (laughs) yeah really guilty for this whereas you know I'm going to clear up now would anyone be willing to help me yeah, would be great. And if, if they decide not to, yeah. then yeah, okay, I'm a bit stuck on that. What do I do if they then decide not well, to? And maybe rather than would anyone, you could ask each each person, you know, hi, you know, Heidi, you know, would you be willing to help me? I notice there's a lot, a lot to do in the kitchen. And I also want to spend some time with you. Would you be willing to come and have a chat as we clear these dishes? And then maybe I'll ask your brother and then I'll ask, you know, my partner and and, and actually to kind of make those requests of, of individuals one-to-one may be more effective in that situation. And, and, and not from, you know, I think people kind of pick up on that, yeah, the passive aggressive thing or the victim thing, like, oh, look, look at my kitchen. Would no one help me with this? That kind of, the drama of it, I don't think is probably going to engage anyone to kind of, to inspire anyone to want to come and, and, and help with. And, and also to think, okay, so what's in my power? Maybe before we even get to the party, you know, if we're the one hosting a, a gathering, there's going to be a, a list of who's doing what. So it's never that it's on you to start with and then other people help you. It's we're having a party. Okay, let's sit down the week before. Let's div- divvy up the tasks. Who wants to do the decorations? Who wants to do the, this part of the cooking? Who wants to do this part of the, clean, the cleanup? 
Mm. So you divide up that responsibility in advance proactively rather than waiting for the day and feeling. Yeah, that's interesting. I have tried that approach in the the past. So going on a camping holiday with family, making a rotor for who's cooking, who's clearing up. It did work to a point and then there was a lot of whinging. And I think that is where we probably fall down with all of this. So we Mm. might make our requests really nicely and then maybe no one replies Mm -hmm. or we go for a martyr and then everybody whinges about it. And then we backtrack and go, no, that's fine. I'll just do it myself. (laughs) And then you're even more irritated. But something I've been thinking a lot about recently and everyone who's been listening to podcasts, I say this pretty much every podcast for the last five podcasts, (laughs) is that when you stay in your zone of power, when you make your choices, when you take control of things and you maybe make requests or put in boundaries, we're then really surprised when people don't like it or we get pushed back or we get whinging Mm. or we get grumbling and moaning. And then we just crumble and go, Oh, well, all right then. And then we say, well, it's not worked. I put in boundaries and they've not worked. Actually the point is they have worked and other people don't like it. And our problem is we can't tolerate other people not being happy with us. Yeah. Is that something that you see? Yeah, absolutely. And on that, so on that rotor, it doesn't say, you know, Simon's, Simon's day for cooking without whinging. It doesn't say that. It just says Simon's day. <laughs> so he gets to do the cooking, clean up, whatever with the whinging. That's fine. And the important part is that we don't backtrack and somehow change the rotor because we needed that to be done without whinging. That's Simon's, Simon's day. He does it how he wants to, whinging or not. You know, I've got, I've got a toddler, right? If I, you know, if he has to do something, he has to do that thing, but he can cry as much as he likes about it. <laughs> you know, if we're going in the buggy, we're going out for a walk. The point is we're going in the buggy for a walk. It's not, and you have to do that without crying. That's not, that's not the request. It's we're going out in the buggy now. I think the mistake we make is not expecting, not expecting that the pushback, because you expect yeah. it from a toddler. Right. Toddlers never want to put away their toys or eat their broccoli, do they? And you're going to yeah. get whinging. And we should almost expect it. My teenagers, I had to tell a teenager the other day that they couldn't do something. It's something we had decided that wasn't working for them. It was making them very tired. And we, we said no. We knew that there would be a reaction, but because we'd anticipated it, we were able to be much more empathetic and, and hold the line and explain our reasons. But I don't know why we don't do that more with our relatives. And in a minute, we are going to talk about work colleagues as well. Yeah. Because if you're expecting the pushback and you've already sort of mitigated for it beforehand, it's a lot easier to deal with. So I remember once hearing some comedian, he was talking about when you ask a bloke to do the washing up. So this is very sexist, but it wasn't me. It was this comedian. He said, <laughs> it's like, do you remember the episode? People won't remember this. Karina, do you remember the old cars? You used to have chokes. You have to pull the choke out to start the car. Yeah, I was thinking about the other day. I was thinking, isn't it brilliant? My car always just starts the first time. There's no like (laughs) pulling the choke out. Have I flooded the engine? He said, (laughs) this guy said, I've told my girlfriend that when she asked me to do something, just think of me as one of those engines with the choke out. Like there's a bit of a, like a spluttering. Like eventually I'll get going and do it, but just to ignore the spluttering. Don't, as soon as I start to splutter and stop, don't go, oh, well, don't worry, I'll do it. Just (laughs) sit with the spluttering until the engine's going and then I'll be totally happy. But my first reaction is always going to be, sorry, I'd rather sit here watching the football. Of course, of course. And that teenager is going to want to stay on her phone and that 
a bigger, you know, a great uncle Bill is going to want to have that conversation. So I lo- I, I'm going to use that metaphor now. That is such a good example because we're not saying do this thing and do it completely without any complaint and be completely happy about it. It's just, I would like you to do this thing. Would you be willing to do it? Yeah. However you, however you do it. And I think we all have a toddler in us, right? That same feeling, you know, when I say to my son, you know, let's say he, he doesn't want to get out of the bath. He wants to play with his toys, you know, and I can say, you know, I know you don't want to get out of the bath. You don't want to do that. And that's where the crying is coming from. You don't want to. And we're getting out of the bath now. So it's that sort of expressing the empathy can can you express that empathy with adults or does that sound really patronizing I know I know you really don't want to clear up I know you really don't want to tidy but I know you really don't want to, Uncle Bill I know you really don't want to stop talking about that because you're a horrible racist idiot but <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to work I, I think there is a way of doing empathy let me let me think about if that was if that was you know it sounds like this is a really important topic for you you know sounds like you've got a, a lot to say about this and you've probably had a lot of experiences that have led you to to believe what you what you believe would you be willing to put that aside for you know for now that topic and we and we play this game and so I think you can empathize maybe not in the exactly the way you would do with it with a toddler yeah so it's just expecting the consequences and I'm beginning honestly this is like a family therapy session for me Karina because I'm <laughs> thinking maybe my approach of right you're all going to clear the table you're going to clear it now and there'll be no whinging maybe that's not mm. very effective <laughs> The, that's actually not what your your greatest need is that they clear up. So the whinging is like a it's like a red herring because then they're just going to focus on the whinging and you're going to focus on the whinging. It's like actually, would you you know would you clear up? However you want to clear up, we can put some music on. We could all have a big whinge party as we clear up to some big rock music that you know supports the whinging music or um, whatever it is. But yeah, not being not being prescriptive about how people do the things which are in their their zone of power and you know for anyone listening who who hasn't done a shapes toolkit doesn't know about the zone of power the zone of power is what is in my power is my words my thoughts my my actions so things like my requests the way i use my body whether i stand up and walk away that's all my zone of power i own those things anything which i don't own in that way is not my zone of power and so much of our time we spend in other people's zone of power trying to tell them how they should think say do behave and anytime anytime we're in someone's zone of power we we've lost it because 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 we literally don't have power there i get it you're pushed for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a frog.com slash quiz that is very profound isn't it it's just very hard to do because i'm thinking yeah. to coaching sessions that i'm doing and it's always about how can i get them to recognize yes. me how can I get them to do it and we have to say you, you can't you yeah. literally can't get them to do anything I mean you can behave in ways that influence people yeah. but you can't get them to do it and yeah. I think 
<clears throat> one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about relatives at Christmas, not just because it's Christmas, but because I had a coaching uh, client the other day and one of their issues was, I really cannot stand this person at work. Mm. You know, when I see them, I'm like, Ugh! when I interact with them, I'm expecting difficulties. I'm expecting whinging. I'm expecting pushbacks. And I'm finding it really difficult, actually ruining my working day. And I thought, mm, that's quite like Christmas and relatives. And yes. I'm sure everybody can probably think of a couple of people at their work, which they might not hate, they might not dislike that much, but maybe they're feeling quite guarded and they're, they're almost mm -hmm. expecting the worst. And actually, I saw someone the other day who I find quite difficult. And I realized the minute I saw her, <gasps> I, I went into defensive mode and then I was almost expecting her to say something awful. In fact, she was really yeah. lovely and pleasant. Mm. And I thought, gosh, it's my, my thinking is really ruining my interaction with this person. Yeah. So <laughs> what can we do about that? Because obviously relatives, teenagers, you have a little bit more personal mm. influence with, you've got that connection, you know, that relationship with uncle Bill is still going to be there <laughs> whether he wants it or not next year because you're related literally right. you can't get away with that but at work colleagues it's much more difficult you don't have power over them and you've got to you've got to rub along you've got to work together right and I think colleagues are actually in some ways like relatives and that they're a group of people that we didn't necessarily choose to spend time with and yet we need to spend a lot of time with them so I think actually it's a very it's a very parallel situation sister-in-law and you know team member it, it can be very similar. So I think, again, the same kind of principles, really, just acknowledging that other people can be very, very hard. You know, we can find people very hard. You said it perfectly. You know, my thinking about this person is affecting my relationship. Again, kind of what do I, you know, what do I know to be true about them? If I really face reality, doesn't mean you're going to like it, but okay, this is who they are. Who do I become in their, in their company? Can we have like an example that we could work with here? Yeah. So an example would be, I'm just trying to think of, yeah, somebody that I worked with a long time ago. I found them very abrasive. I didn't like their style. Style was very, very direct, very aggressive and very defensive. So if you were to suggest anything, you'd immediately get come back and pushed back in quite an aggressive, defensive way. And they were quite rude. And you could see them affecting other people as well. And it was quite difficult to work collaboratively with them. And then so every time you saw them, you were expecting that rudeness and that defensiveness. And in the end, just backed off and thought, actually, it's, it's almost not worth it. Mm. Yeah, that's really hard. And again, I think, you know, that first thing is just to go, this is really hard. You know, this is a this person that I'm really going to be challenged by. And it's going to take a lot of kind of intentionality, consciousness on my part to show up the best I can in that context. So one, one place to go would be Every time you hear them being abrasive, just to notice if there's a story that you then make up about you and what that means about you. So every time you hear them being abrasive, does that voice in your head say, oh, they don't respect me. They don't like me. They think I'm an idiot. Any of that is we can just capture that as a story. And by a story, I mean, it's, it's thoughts that we've put together. We've made up to kind of make sense of what's happening. And then we can question that story. You know? Does that mean that? Does it mean that they think I'm stupid? It, it might do, but it also might not, especially if we see them doing it with lots of other people. It, we might realize, actually, I see that it's not personal. It is that they are abrasive with, with everybody. 
Another nice way to go is if you couldn't use whatever the predominant word is you're using. So let's say you're using the word abrasive or rude. If you couldn't use that word, how might you describe it? So like in that situation with that colleague, is there, if you took the label of abrasive or rude away, is there any other way you could describe kind of factually, objectively, how they were speaking? Yeah, they would, they would speak fast, quite loudly, and in a quite a certain manner. Mm-hmm. So very concrete and confident of their own opinion. Yes. So it's nice to break it down into the elements that together added up to abrasive. Like I'm a very fast speaker. So, I mean, someone might think that's abrasive. If you, know, if you, if you think of it as, as just fast, it has much less kind of punch. If you just go, okay, so that person speaks fast. You know, that person speaks quite loudly. Again, other people might speak quite loudly. Maybe they're slightly hard of hearing or they're used to speaking to someone who's slightly hard of hearing. So it just takes that kind of, that drama, the personal thing, the, the judgment of it as it must be negative. It kind of strips it of that level. Okay, so now we're dealing with someone who is speaking fast, quite loudly and confidently. Again, confidently could be seen as a positive. You know, we could describe someone who speaks confidently as as being very positive. So it just is starting to kind of dissolve because when we, when we put these very definitive negative labels on something, we're only then hearing them through that filter. So it's like, okay, so here I am with this person who's speaking quite fast, quite loudly, quite confidently. Okay. And then bringing attention back to, back to yourself. So, okay. Am I okay? Am I safe? Yes. Am I actually in any way materially affected by what they're saying, no, I notice my feet are on the floor. I notice that I'm standing here, I'm breathing. Uh, then we can really listen. Are they asking me a question? Okay, I can, I can answer that question. Are they giving me a fact? Okay, I can take that fact on. And everything just kind of can slow down and become more factual rather than interpreted. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And it's really interesting. It's like I said, therapy session for me, because it's <laughs> <clears throat> really reflecting stuff in myself. Actually, I recorded a podcast the other day that they said, every time you really dislike something in someone else, it's probably because you see an element of that in yourself and you really don't like it. And I've had two bits of feedback from family members recently that when I've been like explaining an idea to them or something I've heard or something I thought was really good, they felt like I'm telling them off. They're like, why are you shouting at me? I'm like, mm. I'm, I'm really not. I'm just trying to, and I realise in my enthusiasm, yes. I get what gets interpreted perhaps as aggressive. So, so I'm now thinking of that other person thinking, oh gosh, <laughs> maybe that's true. And I, I think maybe one of the reasons I found this person difficult was in my head, my thinking was they don't think I'm any good. Exactly. They're not, they're yeah. not respecting my thoughts around here they're just sort of bulldozing me and then I find it very hard to give any feedback or or mm. make those requests because I was really worried about how it would go down and the the fall fallout and the feedback yeah yeah so we can then isolate that and and that's really insightful I love that you I love that you see that kind of that you know how other people might see us when we're trying to be passionate or whatever, they might take that as a, as a negative that sometimes we're, we're experiencing other people through that same kind of filter. So then we can take that story in your head. So the story is she thinks I'm, I'm no good. 
And we can just ask that beautiful three-word question. Is that true? Now, can I absolutely know that that's what she's running? I, I probably can't absolutely know that. I'm not in her head. You know, I, I'm not there. I don't know what she's thinking about me. So again, it just starts to kind of dissolve a little bit. It's not as solid, that story, she thinks I'm useless. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how she sees me. And, and how she sees me is so within her that it really is none of my business. It's not over here in me. It's in her how she sees me. And who knows? She may have had someone, a colleague just like me, who reminds, you know, reminded, I remind her of a colleague who actually was really useless. And she's just projecting that onto me. And it has nothing to do with me. So if we start to break down some of those assumptions and we start to see, actually, maybe it's not personal, maybe she doesn't think that. And we have more of a don't know kind of mindset. I don't know what she thinks of me. I don't know if when she speaks like that, it means she's being abrasive rather than just she's talking fast. I don't know. So in that place of not knowing, then can I hear her a little bit clearer? Then can I make a request or give some feedback from that much clearer I don't know as much place because so often we go into positions. We go into, I know who she is. I'm the victim here. She's the abrasive one. There's me just trying to do my job and she's being so rude. And we, we kind of dig our feet into this identity. You know, again, it's like, you know, just to be kind of blameless about it. We just, this is what we do as humans. We take a position, we, we assume an identity and we stay there. And then we have this confirmation bias where they're, Whatever she says, she could say 10 things, but we're going to focus on the one thing that confirms our story because we like to be right. We like to have a position, an identity, and be right. And so anything we can do to break down that position, break down that identity, break down that that story can help us to actually see her as she is and be more in the reality, in the connection. That is really interesting because I think if you apply this to relatives or teenagers or work colleagues, you're right. Once you've got that ticker tape thought going mm. on about this person, you're just looking for what's yeah. going to happen. So Uncle Bill comes for lunch. He might be totally fine. And then he suddenly says, well, I was reading in the Daily Mail the other day. And you're like, uh-oh, yeah. yeah. alarm bells going off. And he talks about the football. You know? yes. And so yes. we then see everything through our lens or with the teenagers, you know, they're going to get really cross, you know, they're going to be defensive and rude. And then you interpret everything they do through that. And, and with colleagues, they're going to be like that. And you start as, just assuming the worst. And then you see it because that's the only thing you're looking out for. I, and again, there was another podcast that hasn't come out yet, which we recorded. And the, the people there were talking about approaching everything with beginner's mind. Yes, love that. I thought that's so helpful. What mm. if you approach that colleague that you found really difficult as if you'd never met them before? Yes. As if that's the first time and just took everything they said just at face value with none of that history. And, and, and let's face it, people do have history. They have form. And that is the problem. We just expect them to carry on. But that's not fair because I would really hate it if my four things I've done in the past or times I've mucked up or reacted badly, if every time people saw me, that's all they could think of and that's how they interpret me. And I, I guess that, that, that probably is true sometimes. I'd want people just to approach me as who I am today without all that history, that past experience, that, that assuming the worst of me. 
Yeah, it's really, really hard because we do have this. Our minds remember, right? That's part of what the mind does is it remembers. And we do, we have, I've used the example before of it being like the gunk in our, you know, like in in, in the plug holes in in, in the sink or the bath or something. It's like all this gunk of all the, every single time that that's happened before. And every time with that person, it's like all of that gunk kind of gets brought up. But I think that even if you, if you take just one thing from this podcast, if you go into that family gathering or with your colleague with that completely fresh, I've never met you before mind and experience them as they are, because people do and people do change. So even if they have been exactly like that before, it could be that today, who knows, they've read a book, they've listened to an amazing podcast, they've, you know, they have, they've wanted to change or they have changed. And actually, if we keep holding them as they were, it's, it's like a dance. We, they do a certain dance move. Then we do the dance move that goes with that, which then leads to them doing that dance move. And, it, and it, we continue the dance. But if they, either they have already changed the dance, and, and if we spot that, we would then do a different move. Or we can be the one, we can be the first domino. We can be the one to do that first different move which might actually disarm them. They're like, oh, mum normally asks me to put my, <laughs> my tablet away at the table and she's not today, what's going on? Or, you know, whatever the, or, or she normally asks me in a really kind of authoritative way and she's not today. Huh, something's different here. And you just, you just shake things up so it's not, it's not going to be the pattern that it has been before then. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And it's just occurring to me that maybe we should treat our work colleagues a bit more like family and our family more like work colleagues. Because mm. if I was really polite to my teenagers, like yeah. I would be, like I'd never say to my work colleague, put that phone away in that meeting. Yes. <laughs> I said, oh, would, would we all be willing to turn off our laptops in our meeting? Yeah, because yeah, you've got to be respectful for your work colleagues. Yes. And then if I treated my work colleagues a bit like my family, like, maybe I wouldn't even ask them to put their laptop away even when it was really irritating but actually making that request mm. then it just it just evens up and actually what you're doing is just treating people like a human being with the respect that they deserve yeah yeah I love that I love that idea that's definitely see we've got lots of things that people can try right I like the idea of experimenting to go with that kind of beginner's mind have the next family gathering, the next colleague interaction, be an experiment. Try one of the things we've mentioned, whether it's some empathy, whether it's a request, whether it's staying in our own power, whether it's beginner's mind, and just try something different and see what happens. Because it's that feedback that we get that gives us a different experience. Mm. What if we are the person that people are finding difficult? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm sure some of us will be. It's never us, is it? It's what's so funny. Like we do, you, you and I do all these trainings and everything, and it's always everyone else, our participants in the training. They're the ones with the difficult people out there. But you're absolutely right. Someone, someone in a training down the road is talking about those participants, or, or you know, us. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, I know it's really difficult to believe, but sometimes <laughs> I do really annoy people. <laughs> I don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> my family will all be like, oh my goodness, Rachel, this podcast is about you. It's about when you react at the dinner table, you bring up inappropriate conversations all the time, or you're quite rude, or yes. you just react, you know. So yeah. I, I hate to, you know, <laughs> any of our podcast listeners probably falling off their chairs by now. No, they're not. <laughs> um, okay. So when you're that person, <laughs> and you know, I've been difficult in the past, particularly yeah. with my family, know what I'm like, you know, when I'm mm. tired. So mm. you, you know that people have got that, that experience of you and that experience of you in the past. Now, you might have done a lot of work on yourself right. to try and change. And I certainly 
know that I have done a lot of work in order to try and tame that inner chimp and and not react and try and catch the story in my head. So I hopefully think I'm a lot pleasanter to be around and I'm much less defensive and I can take feedback and stuff. But there will be people that have known me for years that have got those stories Mm. and assumptions. And I can't change that because I can't control what they think of me. So how do Mm. I... How do I stop people finding me difficult? Mm, it's a really good one. Well, I guess as you sh- keep showing up in your new way, they will have a different experience of you. There could also be the chance for a really honest conversation about that, you know, referencing things that, you know, God, do you remember when I used to? Just to kind of for you to locate it in the past or even expressing things that you've done to shift that, you know, yeah, I used to do that, didn't I? When, you know, before I realized da, 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 you could actually give some examples of that so that you're kind of marking out that change. And I think ultimately it is in other people's zone of power, whether they find us difficult. So staying in our zone of power and being as we are now, maybe, um, and knowing that they may carry those stories. And that, that, that is up to them. If we've, if we've showed up as we are now, and as we if we want to locate the past, but ultimately it is up to them if they want to continue to see us as, as difficult. And again, who knows why, right? If people find us difficult, it could be that we remind them of someone else who has a similar trait. Um, and that just that particular trait, or it's just that, that particular trait maybe is something that they haven't owned in themselves. And then they find us triggering because we, you know, they project all kinds of stuff on us. Who knows? Like any people can project whatever they want onto us. And, and it's, it's, theirs, it's theirs to live with. And I wouldn't probably spend too much time trying to change how anyone sees us. If you just show up how you want to show up, then you, you know, for me, when I leave a family gathering, the key for me or, or any gathering really is, am I proud of how I showed up? Did I show up? Did I kind of set intentions in advance maybe about, about what I know about myself and the people who are going to be there? Did I put in place anything to mitigate anything which I foresaw as a problem? You know, if I, if I know that I do that thing when I get, an, maybe I would, you know, can I get slightly better sleep the night before? Can I not drink if I know that drinking pushes me over that, that edge of, I get argumentative or can I in advance set up that I'm going to go for a walk? I'm going to go and play with a dog in the garden. I'm going to do things knowing myself. If I know that I've set it up, I've shown up the best I can. I forgive myself for any way that I didn't show up brilliantly. If I can walk away going, I did the best I could, then that's what I live with. I don't live with their judgments when I go home. I live with my own experience of myself. I love that thought of being proactive about this. You know, I know that I've got these things coming. I know that these are my triggers. This is where I'll find things difficult. What can I do if I notice? And maybe even getting your partner or, or someone who knows mm-hmm. you really well, just to give you a kick under the table. My, my yeah. partner's very good at kicking me under the table. <laughs> like, yeah. why are you kicking me? Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> There's yeah. about three kicks a night. <laughs> <laughs> and we can, do, you know, we can do things like we can set alarms on our phone. No one else needs to know what that alarm means. And either just, we know when that alarm goes off or we actually set the words on our alarm to say, you know, take a few breaths or dial down the, you know, the debate or remember, you know, not to da, 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 we can actually, we can, we can send ourselves into this situation as prepared as we can be with things like 
with that with I love alarms on phones I think that's such a good way of kind of catching in the moment because we can have all the best intentions and then we're getting carried away in the moment and it's getting stressful and it's getting challenging and we're being triggered left right and center oh there's my phone alarm to remind me of what intention I set before I came here today that's a great that's a really great idea we haven't got much time left in in a minute I'm going to ask you for your three top tips I've got one last question because it seems to me to be a bit unfair that I'm the one that has to make all, all the allowances for these difficult people at work or at home. Why should I, if there's that person at work, and I know that if, if we ask them to see some extras or something like that, they're going to kick up, they're going to be really difficult. If we suggest a change, they're going to sulk. Why? It's not fair that it's the rest of us that have to make all these allowances and work on ourselves. Why, why should we? Yeah, you, you shouldn't. Like You shouldn't. You don't, no one is um, ever asking you to. The, the thing with everything we've talked about here is if, if you want more peace, if you want more connection, if that person is the way they are, you can, you can either kind of fight about it, argue about it, complain about it, all of that. You can do all that. You can do all that forevermore. Many, many people do. But if you are wanting to feel more peaceful, if you're wanting to feel more powerful, then it has to come back to you. And if you do that as a not I have to do it, but I want to do this because I want to feel more, more peaceful, more, more harmonious, more powerful, more effective, all the, the words that are what you want to feel, then you, you know you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for yourself. I love that. So I'm doing this so that I can feel calmer. I'm going to make this request and if they start to complain I'm just going to step back so that I'm not just getting really really irritated by this yeah. or yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, I see that it's a really difficult concept to grasp though isn't it this fact, fact that we can't change other people we can only change what what we do and make those requests with with empathy yeah. and actually as we do that other people will change and well, as we the, talk about yeah. story in ahead other people will change yeah that's that really is the kind of the magic bit because we talk all this time about what we do, but when we do change, it kind of, again, that dance move thing, when we change the dance, other people are disarmed in that, oh, hang on, something's changed here. This isn't, I can't do the dance I've always done. I have to do, I have to do a different dance. I'm sure we've all had the experience we can draw on. The example that I'm going to the hospital a lot at the moment, I have a, a high-risk pregnancy and, you know, <laughs> certain receptionists that I encounter are not the most polite you know, with me, just in terms of appointments and, and whatever. And you just notice the kind of how the normal dance in that example of patient and receptionist can be one of antagonism, right? It's like, well, the appointment should be in the diary. Well, it's not. Da, 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 da. And that's, it's almost like a dance that they just, they're used to, you know, you know, sadly, that's often a, a dance that you see it with other people at reception. And, and then you notice if you shift, so if I say, God, that must be really, you know, it must be really hard that your system doesn't match what's in my diary. And it just changed, like they can't do that dance anymore. So then it, it changes that. And, and you kind of see people as different people than when you walk into that, into that door. I think that's a really great point that when you shift the dance, when you act differently, then you get a different reaction from them. You suddenly start to feel much warmer towards them as well. Yeah. Absolutely. You notice, oh gosh, I really noticed something about you that I hadn't noticed before when I was in that kind of conflict antagonistic place. Mm. Actually, Uncle Bill, you, you're really 
caring and compassionate with this particular group of people. You do lots of yeah. lots of good work after yeah. all. After all, yeah, because that empathy, you know, the empathy we've been talking about really has to be genuine. Otherwise, it doesn't it doesn't land. It has to be genuinely empath- empathy with. Wow, this is a topic that's really important to you. Or wow, that that phone is really important to you. You're really there's something you, you, you one of your needs is being really met by being on the phone right now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so much to think about, Karina. <laughs> we'll have to get you back because we haven't even mentioned whose side of the net are you on, and that is something right. I really want to talk about. So it's been yeah. a teaser for the podcast <laughs> coming up in the new year. So yeah. if you had three top tips for how to deal with difficult relatives and colleagues at Christmas, to face the reality of who they are is number one to really look at who they truly truly are without any illusions expectations delusions stories just purely face that reality look then at your own self with that same true honesty self-awareness without guilt without shame just oh yeah this is how I can show up when I get triggered in that certain situation good to know and then the third one is come back into your own zone of power always always bring it back to the question of what can I do? What is in my power? Because that is what you're left with, that you you did what you could do within your power. And that is, I think, what has you sleep at, at night. Oh, brilliant. I think for me, my three take-homes from this are, first of all, making that request yeah. in, a, in a really empathetic way. Would you be willing? Yeah. And and treating our family members more like work colleagues mm. and treating our work colleagues more like family members. And I think both ways will help. Second, I think coming to people with a beginner's mind, like if I had no experience of this person, how, how would I be experiencing them right now? And third, just having that realisation that I might actually be the difficult one here. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's my reaction to other people that's making me the difficult one here. And so what can I do, like you said, in my zone of power before I even go into this situation, because I sort of know how the dance might play out, how might I be intentional about how I change that dance? Yeah, love that. Thank you, Karina. That has been super, super helpful. I hope you have a a good Christmas yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go and take all my own advice. That's the key, isn't it? We know, we know so much wisdom is about taking our own advice yeah exactly we can talk about it now and then when push comes to shove it's <laughs> going to be difficult but it, we're going to get Karina back on the podcast I think as a regular guest because she's got so much wisdom to share so if people have any questions to ask or or dilemmas you'd like us to explore then just drop us an email at hello at you are not a frog.com and we'd we'd love to delve deeper into the, these dilemmas because we all have them and I learn something new every time I talk to you Karina so thank you so much for being with us yeah. and we'll talk to you again in the new year See you then. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.